Welcome to the latest episode of Inside the Vault, Enterprise Bank's podcast series where we talk about items of interest to the small business community. Today, we're going to tell another entrepreneurial story um, here with James Deegan, who is the founder of Mega Cat Studios and uh, who also has uh, involvement with some other businesses um, known as Fox Blossom and E360 Technologies. James, welcome. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me. Sure, sure. So what, what we wanted to do today is you know, kind of have you tell your story, James, but what your primary business uh, is involved with the video game industry is, uh, I think, would be really insightful for some of our listeners and viewers because it is really unique for us, those of us that are big kids that still play video games or as parents uh, of, of kids that spend a lot of time uh, in front of the computer or their devices playing these games. So let's start um, kind of with your background, James. I mean, what what how did you become an entrepreneur and a business owner? Interesting question, for sure. Um, <laughs> you know, I've never actually had a, I would say, like a regular job. Um, my first my first um, first job was probably in high school. Um, my uncles and prior to that, my, my grandfather owned one of the first ice cream truck businesses in, in, the, in the city here back in the like 60s and 70s. So, yeah. um, you know, I worked in the ice cream trucks and then um, decided I wanted to be a personal trainer and became a personal trainer, <laughs> which, you know, really isn't, a, you don't really get hired um, as a trainer at independent gyms. You just show up and start offering services. All right. And that just naturally led into me um, cultivating really basic entrepreneurial survival types of <laughs> um, <laughs> skill sets. So uh, eventually that led into E360, which was, like end of life IT asset disposition. So when businesses get towards the end of their devices, life cycles, they have three or four big decisions to make around secure data management and record keeping for that, uh, recovering hidden value on the device themselves, and then logistics and operations related to management of those leases and changeover of those devices. So we we saw those pain points and helped automate quite a bit of that with software. Those software competencies ultimately led into Megacap because we had engineers and had a huge love for video games. I'm 38. My my generation is probably the first one that was like raised by video games, right? So most of us grew up right. with Nintendo, Sega Genesis. Super I Nintendo. remember Pong. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> you, know, we, you know, we do work for Atari. Yeah, we actually, we've actually done quite a few Pong games for them. But, you know, we, um, I, I think somewhere... You know, five-year-old James wants to high-five 38-year-old James because it's, it's like, you did it, dude. It's cool. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I mean, eventually um, eventually Megacat became the the primary focus. And a lot of it shifted probably about two years uh, prior to COVID and um, just seeing the opportunity in our, in our industry and in games. And then, Gotcha, you know. gotcha. So um, I definitely want to dig into the whole process of video game development. But um, also, you're part of an entrepreneurial family. Your, no doubt. Well, my wife's the real entrepreneur. Okay. Out there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so your wife has a, a a separate business, right? So Amanda runs Fox Blossom. So I founded Fox Blossom um, when we were just still in college. I want to say like grad school era. Uh, initially as a hobby to help. Um, I want to say take advantage of all of her own wedding planning uh, mind changes. <laughs> it's like let's do these. Oh, that wasn't exactly right. Or I changed my mind. This isn't quite feeling right. And then. She like unintentionally became um, like an expert in that space around that that era, and she's she's just um, 
So she's good at dealing with bridezillas. It, it, it's crazy, but it's <laughs> she's like the um, she's the perfect woman. It's like uh, and from a anyone would be lucky to hire her because she has left and right brain, left and right brain like superstar skills. It's like she's a you know MBA from Carnegie Mellon, like top three percent GMAT scores, just incredibly intelligent. And at the same time, you know, she had at one point got like an art school in Brazil, fully funded because she's a talented artist, yeah. you know, oil painter, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's interesting because anything she touches, she can kind of just create magic from. But it's, um, you know, her vision for Fox Blossom was never to create this um, corporate gifting strategy company. It was to, you know, take advantage of this uh, moment in our lives where she wanted to have the perfect wedding and then, you know, remonetize some of the decisions she made along the way that weren't just right. And that just naturally turned into you know, taking those services and applying them to other notable, you know, notable uh, Bridezilla likes. <laughs> <laughs> and then that was the, uh, that same era was the beginning of Etsy. So she ended up becoming like a top, top 10 all-time That's how Etsy. she started yeah, on so, that platform? Yeah, you know, put up one or two things and three and then four. And then she's like, hey, like I, I made more money an hour here than I make it a day. And yeah. she's working at Carnegie Mellon at the time. And um, it, it just turned into a business also unintentionally, right? So it's, very much driven by like vision and passion, but not by, you know, let's, let's build a perfect architecture to scale this entity. It became this uh, constantly moving target. And then you know, I, I remember some of those key moments for her too, where one time she went um, like viral on BarkBox, which is like a dog subscription box platform. Mm -hmm. And they took one of her products, which was this Christmas ornament for um, the customized pet names and, and, and ended up selling something like 20,000 units that day. And I remember at the time, um, the Etsy, Etsy had just launched an app and it would make this cha-ching sound on your, on your iPad every time a, a transaction went through. Next thing you know, it's like it broken. It, <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, it was vibrating <laughs> and they were like, Oh, something's wrong with the iPad. And, you know, <laughs> then we like log in and she's like, I, I think I need to call my mom and aunt because I don't have any employees. Right. And it's, uh, yeah. it was funny, but I mean, a, as it grew, um, she, she molded it into like a, a sustainable business, right? They do corporate gifting for Warner, Facebook, Twitter, Google, and they do many of the world's leading tech companies. And just anyone who has like a desire for these elevated corporate gifts, those same design sensibilities that she applied um, in the wedding space, she just brought to the corporate space because it's it's actually a massive um, strain on a lot of these, I guess I want to call them, um, sometimes they're executive assistants, sometimes they're, you know, how do we, how do we really celebrate like our, our biggest stakeholders and our biggest clients that, that makes it feel thoughtful. So you're not giving them a gift card right? or a gift basket or, you know, so it's, um, it's, it's very branded it's, and it's elevated gifts. So it's not no tchotchkes. Um, so these aren't necessarily just a product. It could be a box of multiple yeah, products. So, so they're almost exclusively gift boxes. Okay. Yeah. So whenever uh, her whole service is that branded um, gift box, you know, velvet top embossed, customized, banded gift box, and you open it up, and it has the you know thoughtfully arranged and curated items. And those items are often branded too, depending okay. on what they are. Like if you're giving someone like a like a five hundred dollar designer throw blanket, you probably don't want to brand that. But you might find like an under tag that we can embroider a logo on or something along those mm -hmm. lines. Like if I remember at one point she did the um, during COVID, they had the world premiere of like Wonder Woman. And she the boxes for that. And the, the theme was um, kind of elevated movie at the drive through because they couldn't go in the theaters because of COVID restrictions. So everybody was outside in their cars 
right? So their execution package ended up being this, um, this really nice high-end branded cooler, which much nicer cool than I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and then this uh, designer blanket and other pieces. And it was this like, if you would put together like a, a drive-in night, but you had a $1,500 package, that's, that's what it was. And it was a uh, Kind of surreal to me since I'd never thought about going to the drive-thru with a $1,500 package, but the, <laughs> it, it was really awesome to see because it was for it was for like the biggest, book. largest stakeholders that were part of the Wonder Woman production that wanted to see that world premiere. And due to COVID limitations, you know, Fox Blossom helped kind of curate that story. So, yeah, neat. neat. Yeah, pretty interesting. Neat. So um, your most recent venture and where you're spending all your time is is Mega Cat. And, uh, yeah. and, and you talked a little bit about kind of the the playing field in that industry in terms of the size of companies. So I'm interested though, how did you, I mean, again, we're all big kids at heart. Sure. Uh, you would, how'd you take the leap into actually doing, making a business out of this? You know, I wish I had a more romantic start, but I was just, <laughs> I was talking to a few of our team members um, when we were E360 and just saying, you know, do you guys want to start a band? <laughs> that's, that's kind of what it was like. That, kind of, ener- band. that, kind, of, <laughs> that kind of energy, because, you know, we um, we're fans. We, we grew up with them. And yeah. um, in many cases, we were, you know, attending these events, meeting other people and thinking like, man, it's really easy to get started. I wonder why there aren't more companies that are doing this in a bigger way. And, you know, through that, I want to say first year of just um, like attempting small trial, you know, we'd burn 20 grand, nothing, burn 20 grand, nothing. We'd think, man, this is tough. And then, you know, eventually we had a project that we, <clears throat> we threw around that amount of production budget at it. Very small, very disciplined, small project. And we, you know, 5 x our money on it. We're like, okay, so now I see some of the trends. It's a very wide open um, space where there's kind of this sliding scale of art and technology that exists. And normally you can only be on part of the slider, but not for video games. It's both at all times. The creativity all that, the has, that has to be involved. <laughs> yeah. There's got to be something. It's a, it, it is a, it is wild. I remember um, the last time you and I talked about this day of your like, that's going to be the hard part to scale. Um, yeah. And it's, it's a piece of it for sure. You know, the, all the challenges of a software pipeline magnified by all the challenges of creative industry are actually where the, the video game opportunity lives. So if you have the ability to evangelize and organize these really skilled people that can touch those hotspots. Um, that's, that's what makes video games live and breathe. And that's why the MA exists as it does. Cause you're almost like collecting a group of unicorns each time. <laughs> <laughs> Cause it's, you know, video games are the same level of effort, creativity and production as any movie. I was going to say, it sounds uh, like a movie <laughs> or any, or any, you know, hit song, but has the challenges of software and the, challenge of immersion because in a movie you don't get to determine like you can't choose that the character is turning left or right in the scene like that's not how it is in a video game <laughs> right right you know so the, the planning is um 10 10 to 20x i think what goes into a lot of movie production because that you know we have our own cinematic structure we have our own storyboards and our own hooks and you know we shipped a game in uh, august it's our our biggest mega cat specific game called WrestleQuest. it's the world's first wrestling uh, pro wrestling JRPG. We have about 30 licensed talent ranging from Macho Man onto the Giant Road Warriors, classic golden era yeah. talent, Jake the Snake, to um, you know some some modern gaming content creators that are wrestling tangent. And uh, in that genre, uh, role playing game, it's really more narrative driven storytelling. So we have these 12 
protagonists, and these two main protagonists. If you add up just the writing in that game, it's around 150,000 words, and then it's localized in 18 languages. So, wow, you know, millions of words at this point yeah. now. So it's, um, you know, it, when you think about video games, a lot of times people don't, <clears throat> on the outside, they never contemplated kind of the, the production side, and that's some of the most fun stories to tell and some of the most fun engaging talks when we, we do speak at universities or just uh, other, you know, we'll say uh, lateral leadership in other industries because there's so many similarities to music. It's, um, you know, imagine if someone sat down at a record label and said, write me a hit song and then actually a hit record would be better. Here's the money. Like, it's just not how it works. Right. <laughs> so, so I'm kind of interested in that process. Is this is this a scenario where one of Megacat's customers comes to you and says, we have this concept, make it happen? Or is this where you guys develop your own ideas or is it a combination of both? You, you know, so we have like a product mix at Megacat that has a service business and then like our own product and our own creative. So the way I'd look at it is if I really zoom out on the service side, everything is man month. So it's this designer, it's $15,000 a month for his services. And if you want to rent that designer individually, that's the, that's the rate card. Um, now, if you need you know, 30 people on a staffing chart to create a project, that's how the service business runs. Month to month, we're usually plugging into other game projects um, to help accelerate development, catch up for timelines, fill a gap in their production schedule. Maybe they don't have the same genre expertise some of the team members we have do, or maybe they're short some 3D riggers that are part of their animation pipeline or whatever whatever other element we might be assisting with. In most cases, and as we've grown Megacat, we've shifted away from main month work, and we really only have the other two kind of product mix categories. One is our own creative which does include uh, licensed, you know, IP. So we may license like a Sanrio IP. So, you know, like Hello Kitty, we licensed um, something in the Hello Kitty family we'll be announcing in the next few months that has really great traction and a few other creative mediums we think can make a great game. Um, sometimes it's as it's, it's simple as that, where we take someone else's world and we help extend that with a new story and a new genre experience. In other cases, it's, I just want to say just purely new creative. So it's our it's our IP. In the case of WrestleQuest, WrestleQuest is our IP. It's our title, our trademark, our story, our protagonist. But then, it, then it's elevated and creates a level of authenticity by adding in like a Macho Man, Randy Savage area. Right. Mm -hmm. And we actually just to the IP strategy standpoint, that's interesting for anyone who, who's done IP licensing in any industry in games, the usage of the IP um, be much more broad. So in the case of Macho Man, you don't ever play as Macho Man. There's a city built in his honor where other wrestlers might go up to his kind of Statue of Liberty statue and say, like, Macho Man, how do I finish my match? Like, what is the answer? Guide me. And it's it's intended to be this very high fantasy, um, very, um, you know, surreal, larger than life kind of escape and, and get away for an hour or two game. So, you know, the, this creativity piece it sounds like you got to have a special team kind of involved. And in, in yeah. where do you find people that <laughs> it's, have... It's pretty crazy. But, you know, when we first laid out our organizational role chart of what we thought we needed yeah. and what we did. Um, the big joke became we were all going to be creative directors. And that, and that was like uh, was making us all consistently laugh because every single person, no matter your role, has to have that creative lens to look through during the project but then you need to have like expert level 
producer and project management capabilities to guide and shepherd all these roving creatives. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it, it's interesting for sure because, you know, we, we, we call them pipelines in the games industry where you have, you know, a pipeline for 3D that starts with, you know, concept artists, then a, a modeler. There might be a hard service and a soft service modeler involved. And then there's someone rigging it to build the bones. And then there's someone animating it. And then there's a technical artist, um, you know, evaluating how, it might work next to the lighting artist on how it might reflect. And the material artist is saying, oh, is this metallic? Does it, does it have a mirror finish? Does it tick? Does it move? What's the gradient? Like how does, uh, and then the texture artist is interpreting all of that data and adding the skin, the clothing, the materials. And someone says that cape needs to move. So we need the cape to actually have different physics attached. So let's make it a physics object and disconnect it from the rig, make a new rig. So these are all part of that pipeline all the way down to the engineer yeah. that finally actually creates the logic. And that gameplay programmer on the engineering side might have to be coordinating with an architect or someone on DevOps to make sure that, Dave, we can't have more than 20 capes in a scene because it blows out the graphics processor. And that's that's an example of, um, well, one, why you don't see a ton of capes in superhero games. <laughs> <laughs> but two, like how pipelines are constructed um, across each yeah. layer and facet of a game. So it's just a ton of... Um, a ton of coordination. And a so ton how, of, many, how many team members at MegaCat would touch a particular project? Uh, it's, it's complex to, to break apart. I would say that WrestleQuest has probably had 400 people involved. <laughs> <laughs> Contractors and quality assurance firms and just every layer and type, you know, localization firm. Just um, they end up becoming essential rules throughout the project, right? Because when you're building a, a multi-million dollar project, you need a lot of specialists that are packed alongside whatever that core staffing team is. Mm -hmm. And every time there's a new lane that we have to venture into, a whole new group of specialists have to be plugged into the pipeline and the pipeline has to adapt to accommodate the right shepherds to keep everyone working. Yeah. So when we first signed our deal with um, Netflix for WrestleQuest and they brought it to their platform, which important to note, Netflix has a games platform for people that aren't familiar. And with a certain tier of Netflix membership, you could access to the games for free. Russell Quest is trending on their platform right now. It was outperforming Lego movies and um, all sorts of cool, um, really great games. Pittsburgh-based company. Oh, yeah. So you mentioned, you know, relationship with with CMU. So how much have you been able to leverage the the talent, both technically and creatively, out of out of the local yeah, we're, um, market? So we're one of the two largest game companies here in Pittsburgh, largest as Shell. The Mega Cat, we're the newest though, right? Yeah. So they've been around for 20 years. They're great. Jesse's amazing. He has had a massive influence even on the industry. And um, I think they're 150, maybe 200 person range studio. And uh, there's probably a two or three dozen, what we call indies, like independent game developers that they don't have an office. Some do it full time, most don't. Um, and it's it's like an emerging space in Pittsburgh, right? So well, CMU has curriculum around Gaming, so Je it? Jesse is actually one of the folks who leads that games program at Shell. Okay. All right. And I'm uh, mentioning it uh, for a couple of reasons. One, if you're new to the games industry in Pittsburgh, Jesse tried starting it 20 years ago here, proudly, as part of the Carnegie Mellon staff. And um, we became friends with them pretty quickly. I think I'd sent him a couple, one or two cold emails, which he responded to, which was awesome, as a one-person yeah. show at that time. Right. And then we sent him a Christmas gift, and um, just like thanking him for helping to bring this to our city and how we're probably Pittsburgh based. And then we yeah. opened up a new dialogue around, you know, there's going to be things that we have that you guys might need sometimes that I'd be happy to help. So 
we never really have uh, taken him up on that much, but there's been plenty of times where he ends up help, help. We end up accommodating some interns that he can't accommodate. And that for us, we use internships as a recruitment pool. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say half or more of the interns that we end up meeting are Carnegie Mellon master students, bachelors that have interactive arts backgrounds and game specific focuses for their career. And they're just, um, they want to live and breathe it. And when they have an option now, um, beyond just shell to do that in Pittsburgh, it's, it's been like a huge opportunity for us to just grab this great talent and, you know, help them kind of level up their career, um, rapidly. We have a 90% retention rate for our team too. And what scale are you at employee wise? So in, um, in Pittsburgh, we've just under 40 people. Um, we have around 250 contractors all over. And then we have another maybe 30 around the U.S. We have folks in Denver, Texas, New York, Jersey, Florida, West Virginia. Uh, we often tap into the independent gaming world because they're some of your biggest fans to begin with. And we put a job posting up in our email newsletter. Our fans are some of our best recruitments. You know, like they, they come in just ready to get their first mega cat tattoo right, right, right away. Right. So like, they're like, what? They're like, do you mean I can leave healthcare finance and make games? I'm like, where do I get that? I was going to say, you know, my, the, the, the big, biggest challenge I hear from bank, our, our small business owner customers is I can't find people. Oh, yeah. I would guess Stop as cool here. as this is, it's not hard to find. It's a strength. I was, you know, it's funny. I just, uh, I just had this conversation with some team members because we had, we hired these two great level designers and, um, I won't put their names on the spot, but it's, they're excellent. One of them has been in games for 10 years and um, during COVID was furloughed kind of job as like a truck driver or something, you know, good income, yeah. you know, $75,000. And, um, and then his friend was like a manager at a grocery store and had been designing maps for 15 years at home for games, you know, for free, like mods yeah. and, and yeah. his own little kind of uh, considered user generated content. So people are just making their own, what if we played GoldenEye, but played with my map and I put the corridors here and I moved this there. And it's, so he's been, um, you know, polishing the skills for 15 years and the light bulb had never flashed to say, you could actually monetize this. Right. Yeah. And there are, there are people to do that. And it's, that's something that I think probably fertile ground for us for another decade still, unless we start seeing a ton of new game companies surface in Pittsburgh, which I hope happens. Yeah. Like a bigger talent pool is good, but it's not really a new industry, but it's new compared to a lot of industries. Right. And then the people who are, um, you know, most, um, I want to say, prepared academically, they're fresh graduates, right? And um, 88% of the games industry exists on the West Coast. It just doesn't exist beyond that, right? right? And it's uh, the rest is global, by the way. But it just happens to be that the West Coast, the United States, that's where all the games industries really live. Um, we're kind of part of this, this new world that I think is going to become more and more important over the next 10, 20, 30 years, because those flagship AAA studios sometimes can't even find enough VFX artists to finish the products they have. There's more gamers than ever. They play longer sessions and they come back more often. There isn't enough high quality content to satisfy that. And people are looking for new talent pools and new, new regions where they can bring that, that technology and creative superpower, you know, strength to one place so it's it's good to have pittsburgh in the mix we're, we're proud and excited to have bootstrapped it and so 
timeline. I mean, you know, what's the evolution of it? How long does it take to bring a game from concept to market? Depends on the size of the game. So I'll give you some examples. One of our favorite small game clients from from, uh, this year was Grimaldi's Pizzeria. They're like a pizza franchise across the U.S. We did like a, remember Tapper, Dave? Mm -hmm. So we did Pizza Tapper. Okay. Okay. So we made a Tapper game for them. Did in a few weeks, maybe maybe eight weeks. And that's a very simple game, very distilled, very clear, exactly what's going on. There's no magic of like find the fun. Tapper's fun. We know how to make it work. Yeah. We had to make it very Grimaldi. So a lot of it was the creative exercise on, you know, how do we capture what's iconic to their experience and their restaurants? And how do we make that reflect in the art? How do we make it accessible to the super casual gamers? And how do we make it effective for ROI? It's an unpaid, non-commercialized game for marketing. We built those text, those hooks in, designed it and had it to market in eight weeks. That's very end of the minimal scale. And then we have the WrestleQuest is like a four-year project wow. it was our first our first giant um <laughs> independent project we've worked on quite a few projects for other stakeholders with mentioned atari water music group um sanrio skybound hasbro mattel viacom you know it, it, it's funny because i um i spent a ton of time chasing early days regional pittsburgh fortune 100s we're in pittsburgh you're in pittsburgh here's what we're doing yeah here's outfits innovation strategy Here's here's the ways we can apply it. And, um, you know, it was, it was just so frustrating constantly <laughs> get, getting paused because people just don't know what to do with it. And they've never done it before. And we had, we had a few exceptions. We did a really interesting game for PPG to uh, kind of, um, I'm going to say, elevate their eyeglasses brand and the features while making it accessible to the children getting fitted. It made them feel more like a superhero was getting outfitted. And um, neat. That was a lot of fun to work on. And ultimately, we just wanted to do more Pittsburgh business. And we were just looking for a way to kind of wave this Pittsburgh flag together. Yeah. And we just got the door shut left and right. It's like um, Pirates had us do some really great stadium games. And that was our first uh, sports activation, too, which put us into a new vertical. And then after that, we started just offering services to everyone that already hires game companies. And it just yeah. blew up. Yeah. You know. So... What what are what's a successful game worth oh, from a monetary perspective? That's crazy. I mean, there's there's games that hit billions, you know. So it's a it's a really open ended question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would say that um, it's a hit based industry. So kind of like the stopping into a record label and say, write me a hit song. Like the high end part is so high. Yeah. Um, a lot of times when you're managing a forecast for a game to kind of evaluate the commercial opportunity at the concept stage before you green light it, you'll run a a base case, a low, a high and a critical hit. And you aim for the base, assuming the critical hit could exist in some capacity. And there is some rare air up there, Yeah. but you're, you're planning against that low and that base, somewhere in that range. And then what that normally means for, for the game businesses, if you're doing your own product and you're funding it, you just watch your cash flow just die until the end of the life cycle and you take your risk on your game and it either refills the coffers for another game. Right. Or you take the hit and you try to figure out, can you take another swing? Yeah. And that's, gotcha. that's why most game companies don't last more than three years. Um, it's hard. It's hit based. <laughs> yeah. And that's why, uh, that's why the third party publishing world of gaming has just flourished. So the way that works is a third party publisher, like a skybound might say, 
do like WrestleQuest. What if we gave you a few million dollars towards your budget to reduce that risk for you? But we also get 60 percent. If you like it, we're going to bet on it. You still yeah. get a piece, but we're going to get the biggest piece. Right. But we're also going to take the biggest risk. And we're also going to bring this other infrastructure with sales marketing ops. We'll bring it here. We'll do this. And, and that's how third party publishing works. Um, it, it's kind of uh, changed the name in the game and the industry for the last 20 years. It's evolving still. What's the future look like for the industry and Megacat specifically? So the industry is moving towards... It kind of there's going to be two buckets. There's the bigger, better, and there's the casual gaming world. Casual gaming has been growing like crazy. Uh, sometimes it's mobile, sometimes it's PC console, but these are they're basically very creative driven projects that mainly have an hour, maybe less. Maybe there's all highly replayable um, meta content, you know, and then there's the bigger, fewer, better. And that's that's like uh, the majority of your AAA folks that you're you know, Assassin's Creed got a war Call right. of Duty project. So um, we're moving towards bigger, fewer, better. Our eight to 12 projects are going to become four um, in the next two years at a time. Yeah. You know, so the we have some big news. We're probably two years away from announcing because of how all the end days work. But that's, um, you know, kind of changed the, the future of Megacat forever. We just signed a massive project with a world notable Neat. property. And it's a... Uh, it's going to change even the Pittsburgh landscape for gaming. It's like uh, the first awesome. Can't ever, wait to hear about it. It's the it. first ever in Pittsburgh, and it's the yeah. first ever on the East Coast. And it's a, uh, it's going to they're going to blow the industry socks off. Yeah. So many people, they're going to sit back in the chair and be like, "What do you mean?" <laughs> <laughs> Neat. Yeah. Can't wait to hear that announcement. So you know, obviously, it's really cool. It's really unique as a business type, but it's still business. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know. What have been your biggest challenges along the way from a business perspective? You know, there's, there's nothing easy outside of recruiting people. Yeah. It, it's just um, every challenge you'd have in any business uh, we have sometimes magnified. <laughs> it's like a, if you've ever run a software company or consulted with one, software's hard. And if you've ever run a creative-led company, creative's hard to scale. How do you make creative fast and scalable and also make software agile when it's not? And that's, that's games. Right. So it is just constant black magic and stress and new new opportunities to create a new intellectual capital retention system, a new automation attempt, a new process check, a new. So it's just a constant uphill grow, move, grow, move, grow, move. If you like being tested as an entrepreneur, I highly encourage you to try games. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the industry is always evolving. There's always trends moving. Sometimes you're having to if you had a few years to make a game, how do you catch a trend? Yeah, you know, so it's a little bit of like looking at the crystal ball and a little bit of, you know, interpreting the best data along the way with focus groups and internals. And but it's a it's interesting. Um, I'd say if I would narrow down my my biggest challenges, you know, going from five people to 20. Um, that arrow was probably the easiest. And then going above 20 was when it started to really hurt because it, yeah. <laughs> it was just the. The, the number of new processes and the lateral and upstream downstream communication to make it simple. So we weren't just in meetings all day. Um, you know, the, the new ways to navigate and then retroactively go back to previous projects already on rails and say, guys, we have to redo this because we just learned this massive lesson and this has to go back to the other eight projects. And then you can just feel the air leave the room. Cause you're like, we have to redo all that work for the last year. And like, that's a hard business decision to make too, sure. because you're kind of measured on your most recent games. So what do you do 
when you start off four games, one that you think is going to be the best is the worst. Uh, you learn as part of that feedback that the accessibility features for colorblind players are actually holding it back. Well, you look back and you see if, if you can apply it to the other games, how much does it cost? What's the rework? What does it do for the rest of the production schedule? And if you think about it as a, us as a production house, which is what we are, you're, you're wrapping our cookies to go out for sale and then someone's smashing back up into dough and you're like, that's not how it works. <laughs> you know, like, so it's a games are constantly um, turbulent. What, you know, larger companies can take those bets and then turn them off and move on. Right. You know, we're always trying to find a way to turn those cookies back in the dough and rebake them and glue them together with butter or something. Yeah. It's a, we're not at the scale that we can take a five million dollar hit. Right. right. So um, <laughs> it's it's still quite challenging. When I it's funny, I had my um, I was going to my notifications this morning and looking at my calendar for the day. Man, what an easy day. I only have like four calls and actually work today. I probably spend 10 hours a day on calls, you know, and it's um, that was never my, when I started making video games. I never thought I was just going to be on calls all day. But that is my life. And, wow. that, and that is commonly the life of. Um, if you assume across a lot of industries, a CEO is vision, culture, people, partnerships. That's what I'm on calls about. <laughs> <laughs> and it's always moving and it's always changing. And it's um, because there's such expensive decisions to make, too. Yeah, it requires a lot of prep work and a lot of um, upstream work. So those 10 hours of calls are met with, you know, a couple more hours later of let's look at the battle plans. Right. You know, so it's, it, it's still um, it's still changing underneath me sometimes because there's so many new things happening with AI and with technology. And, and there is so much um, happening with we use another movie analogy. You don't really know if a movie's going to do well ever, but you definitely don't know if the movie's going to do well until the test screenings. And you've worked on the movie for four years, right? That's how movies work. Yeah. And games are pretty similar. So sometimes you bring that game to a trade show and you think it's going to be great and you just get a ton of feedback because people love giving you positive feedback in person. No one wants to stand three feet away from me and be like, this game sucks, James. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's a... Uh, the curb appeal might be there and it pulls people to play, but you know, if they don't leave buzzing, what do you do? And, um, and it's like at each layer, you have to really pull back and, and think about like, what is it? What is it? Is it the progression or award schedule? Is that, is it the dopamine hit? Is it, yeah. is it not satisfying enough when I hit this, this bad guy and the coin falls out? Does that fit right? Or should I make it sweat? Should it be both? Is it too much happening? Is it too visually? Is it going to cause like a new issue now with, you know, uh, accessibility? Is it going to be a distraction? We have uh, epilepsy warnings, one of our game, because we have to have so many zombies on screen at once. It's just too much, you know, and it's just it's just uh, constantly, <laughs> constantly <laughs> something, man. But um, yeah. I, w I would say it's a start young. <laughs> go hard <laughs> if i do one thing different i should have started much earlier yeah and i, and I probably would have started a little bit slower we bet the farm on it um part of it is if you start slower you'll likely get a sound sound enough healthy fear that you'll know the staffing you need better and one of the uh, challenges we had none of us came from the games industry we we're just fans yeah so we never had the the background of Here's how the cake gets made internally a blizzard. And on the West Coast, you get a lot of that. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, that's actually become one of our cultural strengths at the team is 
you know, we, we often joke with our West Coast partners, we're like a blue collar game studio, you know, <laughs> like we, we've always made up for any lack of um, expertise with uh, tenacity. And then that tenacity gets dumped into some kind of internal capital retention system, training module, et cetera. And then, you know, because we put so much um, emphasis on rewarding team members to do that, we've kind of built this like group of um, ninja cat senseis that are like there to like, teach and guide and grow. And that's a really become core to our, our culture of how we operate. Like you can't, you can't walk into the, the water cooler or the coffee machine without having someone giving a, a mini class on whatever they're working on. It's right. just a, uh, which is also its own problem sometimes, but. Well, I have a new appreciation when I sit down <laughs> and play a game for everything that goes on behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. uh, and I can't imagine how you coordinate all, all of that, but um, really cool business. Um, how do, how do consumers learn more about MegaCat and it's what it does as well as Fox Blossom? Well, Fox Blossom is about to be their season. They're, they're humming right now. Okay. So if you're looking for, Gifts for clients, anniversaries. Uh, thank you for helping us, being part of us, you know, being there. Like th that's Fox Blossom's message. From August to next March, they're just on fire with yeah. everybody's uh, request. So foxblossom.com, um, everything from a 50, 50 person smaller set with an, an independent banks and investment firms to like world notable blue chip fortune 20s, like Fox Blossom has the execution capability and then mega cat studios want to see pittsburgh's uh second biggest game company and the only creative only game company um we have we have a lot of interesting projects coming up soon and quite a few you can just explore play now and if you want to support a local pittsburgh business yeah. i challenge you to spend five dollars on steam with uh, renfield because it's it's a is it really easy to pick up game and even if you don't play video games what's interesting about it is it's um it's so accessible it's, it's like momable, right? It's a, you, you could pick it up and know what you're doing in three minutes, just tapping. Well, thanks so much for telling the story. <laughs> sure. Um, again, really unique industry type you're in. I learned a lot today. Um, for those of you that have any ideas or suggestions for future episodes of Inside the Vault, you can email us at insidethevault at enterprisebankpgh.com. And you can check us out on all of the major podcast platforms in audio format and in video format on YouTube. Thanks so much for the story, James. Appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for having us. Mm.